0: Hi, this is Jason Hunt, editor in chief at sci fi for me.com, and you're watching Two Geeks Talking.
1: Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We're joined today by a fellow creative person, I should say. He has his own show. He has an amazing website, a great collection of interviews, a great collection of articles, and he's also watching a lot more sci-fi stuff than even I'm watching currently, which is amazing to see. We're joined today by Editor-in-Chief, of course, Jason Hunt, of course, from Sci-Fi For Me. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. Thanks very much for having me.
1: For those that don't know anything about Sci-Fi For Me or about yourself, tell us what it's all about.
0: Uh, It started in 2009. The Reader's Digest version is that the Sci-Fi Channel in February of that year uh, decided to change their brand to Sci-Fi, and there was a big a big hullabaloo online about that. And I thought, well, why couldn't you do another Sci-Fi Channel of some sort? And do it online, do it as a, as something that, you know, you wouldn't, it wouldn't have to be a cable company. It could just be something uh, online. This is back before all of the stuff with streaming channels and Netflix and, and that kind of thing. And it started off like any other site does. Usually it's a blog in the basement. And it was just me and, and a couple of other people helping me out. And it, it gradually expanded and grew. We've had a number of different contributors over the years in a, in a rotation uh, as people are able to uh, volunteer their time and they, they put in whatever it is they put in and then they move on. A few years ago, we started on the YouTube side of things doing video. And it's steadily grown. We've got a number of different shows that we have on our video platforms, as well as doing um, uh, movie and, and TV and book reviews over on the dot com. And we just keep plugging at it.
1: And here we are today on, on our, my show. We, we're, we actually we have a very similar trajectory when it comes to, to our process, uh, although yours is a lot more in-depth when it comes to the variety that you have to offer, which I love. What is the most misunderstood aspect about being a sci-fi YouTube
0: channel? I don't approach our channel as being a YouTube channel. And and it's a it's a very fine distinction. But a lot of these YouTube channels are outrage media, clickbait media. We're gonna complain, you know, we're gonna find the one thing that we wanna complain about today and criticize and that kind of thing. And you can you can make your bones on that for a while. But my approach has always been to treat this as a TV channel. That happens to be on YouTube. And so our approach is a little bit different. And I think maybe what's misunderstood more uh, about what we do, because we have, uh, we've got a fixed schedule for our shows. We have a very, a very distinct style for our programming. We have basically news and talk. And our news programs are distinctly news programs and our talk shows are talk shows, the interview shows and opinion shows. And we keep those very, very separate as much as possible. That makes us different in the YouTube Odyssey Sand Rumble sandbox.
1: Yeah, I, I do find that there are a lot of channels out there that specifically cater to the clickbait side of things. But there are some... Intriguing channels when it comes to you know actual interviews or actual constructive criticism of of shows or different viewpoints of different shows I should say as well
0: too. Sure, um, and and I'm not saying uh, to be clear, I'm not saying that all of those YouTube channels are like that. There is that group. That's what they do, and and I've just never thought that that was very sustainable for very long.
1: Yeah. I mean, how much can you actually complain about something before you beat a dead horse?
0: On the social media, I haven't found the end in sight yet. So (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But you're right. There are a number of channels that do bring a, a good amount of value to the things that they do in terms of critiques and commentary and review and discussion of different things. You have the, I like it, I don't like it. But then you also have those channels that do analysis of craft and, you know, they, they pick apart writing and the effects work and editing and style and tone and pace and all of that. So, yeah, there's still there's still those nuggets of wisdom and, and good programs that are out there. You can find sometimes you have to look for them, uh, but they're out there.
1: You're going on. Well, you're definitely past 10 years. So
0: 12 yes. years now, uh, 13 in March.
1: Nice, congratulations! That's a great milestone to have, especially the way technology has evolved, and especially the way internet consumption has has evolved when it comes to you know shows like like yourself and like myself as well too. What has been some of your more popular shows that you've you've retired but are thinking of bringing back?
0: We've got a handful that I would like to bring back. I'm not sure popular would be a good way to describe it because we haven't blown up with the audience yet. We're getting close to 2000 subscribers on YouTube. So we're, we're almost at the point we're going to start to hit critical mass. But as far as uh, a popular uh, generally, all of our shows get some pretty positive feedback. Uh, A lot of it uh, where we run into to challenges is manpower and resources because everything's all volunteer here. We don't have we don't have a budget for you know a paid staff or anything like that. Whoever's available to do things, and as you know, like I said before, as they rotate in and out, we have various different shows that they can do and some they can't. I I would like to bring back about four programs that are sitting on hiatus right now. One of them's called TARDIS Sauce, which is a Doctor Who discussion. Uh, trailer Park, which is analysis and breakdown of, of movie trailers. Podcast that we had for a while called The Rogues Gallery, which concentrated on DC Comics-related TV and movies. But uh, we bring it back, it would be an expansion and, and discussion of comics in general. Nice. And then over on our Twitch channel, I'd like to bring back a show called 8 Bits, which is a, a discussion of the latest Uh, gaming news so i would like to have those back in the rotation uh, but a lot of it's going to depend on who's available and how much time we have to do it
1: what's in your current roster that that you're excited about every time a show appears
0: right now we've got about half a dozen shows we've got uh, the h20 podcast on monday night which is myself and tim harvey talking about various different topics uh, across the spectrum of various you know genres: sci-fi fantasy horror And then on uh, weekdays, uh, we have a show called Live from the Bunker, which is uh, an interview talk session. So I have guests for an hour. Uh, to do an interview conversation when I don't have guests, I, I get to rant for an hour. And then we have uh, Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday morning, which is the news wrap-up program. We have a show called Foreign Bodies, which is a discussion of horror that's made outside the U.S. And then we have Salacious Crumbs and Triple Bites, and those are our Star Wars and Star Trek news programs, respectively. I like to be a little bit clever with our show titles.
1: They they're very good. I, I actually enjoy it. My original show was TGT, which was two guys talking because yeah. I had a co-host back then. And then I evolved into two geeks talking. And luckily I got the URL for that. So that works out.
0: <laughs> That's always nice, right? I mean yeah. we had to when we when we first got on Instagram, I had to fight to get the sci-fi for me. Uh, identity because some somebody was using it and and it didn't even look anything like they were discussing science fiction they were they were Jehovah's witness posts or something I'm like how does wait what so since we had the brand everywhere else I was able to go to Instagram and say hey, could could we have this please because it doesn't look like anybody's using it it's, it's always nice when you get those URLs that you can that you can pick up and instead of doing the search. Oh, it's already taken. Doing search. Oh, it's already taken.
1: I found it was interesting because uh, about five years after I started the show here, uh, someone else put together a two geeks talking with the number two. So now every time I promote the show, I have to specify it's the word two, not the number two. And it's just like, come on.
0: I was actually surprised that nobody had been using Good Morning Multiverse yet uh because i mean it's such an obvious thing for a news wrap-up show yeah you know i do the search before we start any kind of a new program just to make sure that 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 title's not out there and get you know like you said cause confusion nobody's using good morning multiverse and i thought that's weird but of course i pounced on it i'm sure we're gonna do it
1: it's even more prevalent now thanks to the whole you know uh spider-man films and all that other stuff that occurred and of course the the marvel megaverse that they put together as well oh yeah You know, as a, as a long time geek that I'm going to guess that you are, (laughs) because I I think I can tell from behind you as well, too. What is What was the first genre of any geekdom that you got into that you were like, man, this is, this is for
0: me. I, I feel at home. When I was, I don't know, five or six, maybe, um, I had been, I mean, Growing up as a kid, you always watch the reruns. I mean, there was the Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. Uh, but then when I was about five or six years old, I was flipping channels one day. And I ran across this image. It was a very striking image. These, these two men standing in a very colorfully lit corridor. One of them had on a gold shirt. And one of them had a blue shirt. And the guy with the blue shirt had pointed ears. And I thought, oh, hang on. What is this? And looked up in the TV guide is this thing called Star Trek. And I was hooked from the very beginning on that. And I think that's probably one of the earliest memories that I have of getting involved and getting interested in the sci-fi fantasy milieu. I've never really been big on horror uh, but science fiction and fantasy, more science fiction than fantasy, but I enjoy, you know, Dragon Riders of Pern and, and that kind of thing. But, uh, but, yeah, Star Trek was one of the first. And then there was Battlestar Galactica and Star Wars, of course. You know, I was in the theaters in May of 1977. I was there for, at, at the very beginning. Uh, and it was one of the few films where my entire family went to go see the movie. My, my mom was not a big movie goer. And uh, I remember we went to see Star Wars. We went to see Superman in the theater, um, and of course, when Battlestar Galactica came on in 1978, I'd I'd sit and watch it with my dad on Sunday nights. Um, so it was it, it was a, a very it was a very fun formative years for me.
1: Jump to your very first comic convention that you went to as oh. as media. What was the first guest that you got to interview that you never thought you would be able to speak to in an, in an interview setting?
0: Well, I'm. Uh, we went to Planet Comic Con the first year that we were around, so 2009. We we set everything up. Uh, March 23rd is, is when we officially went live, and then the week after that was Planet Comic Con here in in the Kansas City area. And we got in his media, and we re, we recorded interviews with Aaron Gray, Tom Kane, uh, Sarah Douglas, and so various comic book creators. Um, I think Car- Carrie Callen was in that set. Dennis Hopeless, Kevin Mellon, before they were big. I don't know that I had anybody that was a... I don't. I don't know that we could get them. I don't think anybody was a surprise. But you know, you're walking around with a camera and you're saying, hey, you know, a camera and a microphone, saying, "Hey, can we interview you?" Uh, generally, they're a little bit more open to doing that. Now, now that those events have gotten bigger, it's a little bit more of a challenge because now you got to go through the handlers and all this mm-hmm. other mess. But for the smaller shows, it's a lot easier. Uh, nowadays it'd be something like smallville comic con down in hutchinson kansas where you have you know 1500 2000 3000 people and the celebrities are there and they're it's a, they're a little bit more approachable in those smaller events uh, but we've interviewed a number of people that that I was I was kind of surprised we'd get to um, but some of them were just Yeah, sure. Let's, we'll, we'll hang out and we'll go and do things. Uh, when we were at Worldcon, one of the interviews that we got to do was Alan Dean Foster. It was a weird thing because we didn't interview him at the event space, we interviewed him at the hotel in one of the, in one of the meeting rooms over there because he was, he was signing some stuff and doing some things. So we had to sit down and talk with him for a while. And then after the interview was done, we talked further. And then when we all walked back to the event space together and we were still talking and he's still telling the stories and was like, I'm here with Alan Dean Foster and we're just, we're just shooting the breeze. It's kind of a weird, surreal thing. So I have, I have that happen every now and again.
1: Those are always fun. It's, it's amazing um, who you connect with, even with a a story or getting a story out of uh, an amazing person who's had a long career you know, hey, I haven't told this story at all. You know, you're the first person to get this scoop, so to speak. You know, those stories are always interesting.
0: Well, and I tell everybody that's that's going to do any kind of interview or if they're going to moderate a, a panel or a QA, there's a couple of things that I tell them. I tell them one, these are regular people just like you are. They just happen to be more well known. You know, they're just folks. Two do your homework, be prepared so that you can roll with wherever the conversation goes, but also you have a way to ask questions that are not the normal, usual, you've been asked this a thousand times question, you know, come up with new things for them because you, you want the interview to be interesting for them too. So a lot of times, you know, you come up with something that maybe they haven't talked about before. you know, you go back and you look at other interviews and nobody's ever asked you about this. I'm going to, so it, it keeps it fresh for, for everybody. And I think that that helps with those interviews that, potentially could go weird places, but, you know, as long as you do your homework and you've got your information in your head, then you can kind of keep it on, on track.
1: I've had a few interviews where I, a similar situation where I didn't, never thought I would get to speak to this person, just happened to go up to the table and they happened to be free. And it's like, here you go, here's. Here's a quick five-minute interview type.
0: Or you have somebody like Manu Interame who says, hey, you guys have a camera. Do you want to do an interview? Come here, we'll yeah, do an yeah. interview. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, sure. Why not? They have nothing going on. You know, they look bored out of
1: their mind, yeah. you know, and, and you know, maybe you get to brighten their day with, with a quick interview and a quick couple of questions. And, you know maybe set their day a little better than it looks like they're
0: well happy. the other part of that too is when you get into you you get into having conversations with the with the older actors the established actors the people that maybe maybe they don't get as much work anymore or they've been retired you know we got a chance to talk to James Hampton about mm-hmm. hangar 18 for example you know the things where a lot of people, in the younger crowd may not be familiar with these people, but without their performances and without the work that they did on the shows and the movies that they were in, we wouldn't have any of the stuff that we have now. So, you know, you get to talk to Ann Lockhart, you get to talk to Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray and, and Sarah Douglas and and you know Margo Kidder and Lee Majors. And it's 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 interesting to see the perspective shift. Because things now are not the way they were then and the kind of reception that they get now, you know, like you say, you know, the older, the older actors maybe don't get as much attention, but, and that goes back to do your homework, keep the conversation interesting, because if you can pull out little nuggets and factoids that people don't know about these people, it's not common knowledge that gives them something new to talk about. And it makes them more interesting to people who are just discovering their work. It's a a mix of things to to keep it fresh and interesting for, especially for younger people who, are, you know, have the patience of a gnat, and they just you know, three seconds and they're on to something else. Any consumption
1: of media, whether it's art or writing or television streaming yeah. or otherwise, um, I don't think this generation could even handle while waiting for a show a week at a time.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and it's funny. They did a thing. Um, I think it was Star Trek prodigy uh, just now did a cliffhanger uh, because they're splitting their season. And so this most recent episode ends with a to be continued. And I saw them posting on, on social media. There's like, we want to give people a little bit of an idea of what it felt like at the end of best of both worlds, part one, you know, because back then you had to wait three months. What's going to happen? Riker says, Mr. Wharf, fire. And it goes, you know, screen goes black and says to be continued. Like, no, you're not going to end it there. What? And you had to wait. And yeah, you know, you're right. They don't get that this, these days. You get your 10 episodes and it's done and there's no, there's no hanging on to see what happens next. And you know some of that too is a change in the landscape of how Hollywood does things. You know, I've got a, a, a friend of mine who's a professor of psychology. She studied this for a number of years. Uh, something she calls iGen. You have an entire generation of people that are wired into devices. You know, you get your handheld mobile devices and your iPads and your 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 computers and your laptops and whatnot. And they're so plugged into social media and YouTube and everything is instantly at your fingertips. You can just look it up and it's there and it's instant gratification now, now, now pop. And they don't have any understanding of what it is to wait for something, to look for something, to actually dig for information because it's, it's all right there. Just easy peasy. And I think we're going to have an entire generation of people who are maybe not necessarily handicapped, but are limited in social skills. I think because of that, everything's online and you're not learning how to interact with real people. My generation was the last of that. You know, I'm 51 years old. I was around and we were out playing with the neighbor kids in the streets till sundown and you go home when the you you go home when there's no daylight anymore right you know and we were feeding the squirrels and we were riding our bikes and we were you know playing cowboys and indians and and whatever and these kids these days don't have any kind of understanding of that and it shows in how they deal with people because there's a lot less patient and uh, you've got a lot more incidents of mental illness and depression and all, all, all of the things that go with it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that so many people are dialed into devices way too much of their time.
1: You're right. Human connection is through a screen. Human connection is instant and human connection can be easily misunderstood or misinterpreted through a series of sentences. And it's not the same as hearing inflection, hearing tone, hearing, you know, a one-on-one conversation uh, at a better rate. Yeah. That's why I, I'm, I'm, because of the pandemic, that's why I'm missing interactions, <laughs> human interactions from a convention standpoint as well, too. I, I miss the fact that you can go to a convention in Toronto or Chicago or wherever and just interact with people. And it's just it feels like the landscape has changed on another level of yeah.
0: the flip side of that. I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword because the flip side of it is the advantages that you get from having, uh, having technology like zoom and, and Skype and and that kind of thing where you can actually do one-on-one conversations with people pretty much anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know, we've done interviews with people in England and, and in the middle East and uh, and we're, able to have those conversations and like you mentioned with the with the uh the conventions a lot of them are realizing now that even when they go back to normal full on site in person everything that it's smart to have some kind of online streaming component so you're going to see a lot more of these hybrids Where the conventions, even if they have a regular show like normal, like they used to, uh, there's also needs to be a conversation about okay, what are we doing online? What are we, you know, are are we going to stream certain panels? Are we going to have Q and As that we can put on on our YouTube channel or whatnot? And we kind of were in the beginning of that. With our streaming coverage of WorldCon, because when WorldCon was here in Kansas City in 2015, we came in and we said, "Okay, we want to broadcast from the show." And they said, "Do you want to what?" You know, because this is the old the old gray hair literary crowd. You know, the literary crowd, right? They don't they don't have time to bother with technology. I said, basically, what we want to do is we want to come into a space, we want to set up cameras. And we want to broadcast the five days that you guys are here in Kansas City, you know, and, 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 and it took a while for them to, re, to really wrap heads around what I was trying to do. So it was kind of like a kind of like a, a political convention or a sports a sports event where you have the anchors in the booth. You got reporters on the ground. We all over and we just broadcast the whole thing okay, and we got there and we got our space set up. We got the lights and the cameras and everything. And we're broadcasting from Worldcon the entire five days. And authors and publicity people would come by and they're like, what are you guys doing? We're broadcasting live on our YouTube channel. You're what? You know, it was this completely mind-blowing thing for them. About two days into it, you, you could see the light kind of ping right on top of them. Wait, you're, broadcast, you're live right now? I was like, yeah. Can we come do an interview? <laughs> and we ended up doing 53 interviews in that in that span of five days. They would come over and we'd stand there and we'd have the cameras. And this is actually live television. It took a while for people to really understand what it was about. And, and a couple of people were asking us afterwards, is this your new model? Is this, is this the new thing? I was like, I'd love to do this. I'd love to do this from all the different events, any event that would have us come in and do the broadcast. We've done it from Planet Comic Con. We've done it from uh, TopCon out at Topeka. We did it at Smallville uh, in, a, in a scaled down version. Planet Comic Con was a real big one and WorldCon was big. I would love to do that at events on the regular, you know, as we come in. The problem they have is a lot of them don't understand it. Or now that we've had all of this two years where everybody is having to do Zoom, everybody thinks that they're an expert and they all know how to do it, which they don't. It's still in its infancy. And I would like to be able to offer up our expertise a little bit more than we've been able to. But again, that goes back to manpower and resources too. So,
1: I mean, I love that type of model where you have people coming to you instead of you chasing after people. I I love the fact that you're able to to get great conversations with with amazing people as well too
0: well and what's really fun too is when and when you're sitting there and you've got if you've got your anchors that are there in the booth you can get people out anywhere in this in the space and all they need is their cell phone and and a microphone they grab you know they get on zoom at planet comic-con the last day we had i think four or five different people out on the floor And we just kind of went in a circle to everybody. You know, somebody was over at Artist Alley and somebody was over in gaming and somebody was over here in the celebrity row and all of that. And we kind of did this little last wrap up and was like, you can't do that in person. You can't do that just with a podcast or just a bunch of articles or whatnot. This is something unique in the space when you have the video component and the the broadcast ability. It's an advantage that we can bring to other events. I just... I just wish anybody would understand that we could do that.
1: That's just about pushing what what services you have as, yeah. as a media platform, or rather as a
0: media company. Well, is- the thing we run into, I think more than anything else, because we've had those conversations with people like ReadPop and, and Fan Expo, as small as we are, I don't think people see us as a viable alternative to something like Sci-Fi Wire, for example, yeah. because ReadPop had a partnership with them for a while. And there was a specific sci-fi wire stage. So anything that sci-fi wire did with read pop was just that one stage. It wasn't the entire event. And there are other considerations that you have to take into account. You've got contracts for the celebrities. And if they did anything that was part of a broadcast, then that's, an, a, that's another piece of an appearance. And that's got to be negotiated into the contract and the fees and all that other stuff. So there's a lot of considerations to take into account there. If you have that, at, at the very least, if you're open to that kind of a conversation, then you could figure out, okay, well, what can we do live? Because a lot of these conversations, a lot of these conventions are having those conversations. What can we do live online? What can we get away with? What can we afford? You know, who's willing to do certain things and what kind of what kind of programming can we put on there? Because you have to find that balance between what's available in person. And what's available online, because if everything's online, I don't need to go to the show. You don't want to sabotage your in-person attendance. Mm-hmm. So you got to find that good mix of, of what you can put online without without diminishing the the in-person on location event. So, it's, you know, it's just stuff has got to be figured out and people are still, you know, they're still twisting a little bit trying to figure that part out.
1: I was always curious, curious about the, the technology side of things, the bandwidth side of things when it comes to to that. And while you're taking a majority of the bandwidth uh, through cell data and all that other stuff, I mean, after a five-day span, that, that's that got to eat up a lot of time and, and money and everything along that line from from a, a show perspective. I
0: should. If we do a full coverage broadcast like we did at WorldCon, one of the things that I generally ask for is a hard wire to the internet at the facility. Hmm. And that helps mitigate some of that because you're right. It does take a lot. We can do it with Wi-Fi hotspots and stuff, but the bandwidth, like you said, is, is sometimes a challenge. Uh, it's a lot easier. Uh, it's, better, it's a better signal. It's a stronger signal if we've got a hard, a hard line connection into, the, into the, the computer that we're using to broadcast. But we have done it with hotspots. It's just, it's just not ideal because you, you drop your signal and you lose, you lose a lot of your, your video quality and, and that kind of thing. Your reaction goes down and sometimes you get splotchy connections. If you've got people dialing in, we did a one, we did one, uh, one year, I want to say it was 2017, 2018 free comic book day. At the same day, we were out for the lightsaber challenge. There was a group here that was putting together, going for the, for the Guinness Book of World Records of the largest lightsaber fight uh, on record. And so we were there and we were also dialing in people from other parts of the country for free comic book day. But everything was Wi-Fi and we had a terrible connection, a lousy broadcast. We couldn't get any signal. So I finally ended up saying, just record something and send it to us. It was frustrating. But it was at that point, I was like, okay, hard line from here on out. we got to have a cable. So. Technology
1: also has evolved a lot since, you know, first starting the show uh, itself To
0: Well, funny you say, that camera right back there behind me, mm-hmm. That I have two of those. That is a Panasonic uh, AG-DV100B. And it's an SD camera. It's not even an HD camera. And I use that for a couple of the shows that we do. And it, and it still turns out a decent enough picture. It'll scale up to 720 and it does what it needs to do. But yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people ask, what do you need to, to get started in all of this? I'm like, well, you don't need all of the fancy, you know, you don't need a red. Just use what you've got. And, you know, we've got webcams we've got SD cams we've got all sorts of different things and you don't have to spend a whole lot of money to get started in something like this. A lot of people think that it's the you know there's that threshold of of getting the expensive gear. You don't have to have any of that.
1: Yeah, I mean just a simple matter of upgrading audio and and have a good camera and maybe a decent ring light or something like that or two, you know, balance out yourself.
0: This right here, this setup that I've got, this is ambient light in the room. Okay. I don't I don't have any specific you know, special light for me. Now I've got one. I've got a studio light hanging over me whenever I do Good Morning Multiverse because I'm back there. This is the setup. It's just you know the light, the light in the room, and I don't have anything special set up. Once you
1: find technology that works, you kind of stick with it until it breaks, basically.
0: Yeah.
1: Like yeah. It's the only way you can save, you know, your sanity and your your wallet. <laughs> Looking at the future of the show itself, looking at the future of of what you're trying to accomplish from a professional standpoint here. Mm -hmm. What's your end goal, though?
0: On my more ambitious days in the past, I have sat and thought it would be nice to have all of the Sci-Fi Channel's audience and eventually get to a point where we have the money and the resources where we could start doing original fiction programming where we could do um more shows throughout the day maybe have a Roku channel or something where we could actually be you know something that you can watch on tv and not just on on the web um i would like to have More resources on our news operation where we could actually get, um, not necessarily scoops, but get more inside information so we can confirm things, so we can actually make sure that what we're reporting is factual or not, rather than have to rely on everybody else. Reporting rumors or news or whatnot. I mean, you know, Deadline, of Variety, and Hollywood Reporter, and all of that's fine. But you have these other, other, other people like Mikey Sutton, for example, uh, people who have inside sources. You know, you got Giant Freaking Robot, and you've got um, um, we got this covered, and you've got Grace Randolph, and you got Andy Signor, and you got all these, all these different sites that have sources. And it would be nice to have a few more of those, but also to have those connections and and resources to allow us to do more programs and maybe do this full time. And this becomes the job. This becomes the gig. Um, I would like to be able to create jobs with this and, and pay the people that are on the staff right now. That's a little bit more ambitious than I'm able to do, but you know, it's, it's a nice goal to have out there somewhere. You know, I think, Maybe at the 15-year at the mark, we'll hit that overnight success moment and we'll be all set.
1: So what's your creative kryptonite then as a creative person?
0: Not being able to duplicate myself. <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot of uh, the behind-the-scenes uh, producing side of things that is hard to replicate. Uh, In terms of, uh, you know, the button pushing and, and the managing of the shows and orchestrating that kind of thing. Hosting a show is easier than producing a show if you don't have that in your background. You know, I've got 33 years in media production, so this all comes relatively second nature to me. But teaching people how to use the tools like OBS or Photoshop or Adobe Premiere or you know editing video or, or producing any of that stuff, I guess you could say that's my kryptonite because I find it a challenge to get the time to teach other people the skills that they need in order to be able to do this so I'm not the one doing all of it. That's coming slowly. Every now and again, I'll get these, these moments where I can teach somebody, okay, this, Let's, let's just concentrate on this one little thing here and then we'll add to it and we'll do something else here and we'll do something else. So they, it, it's, it's coming along. I do a whole lot more than I probably should. I need to be able to delegate a little bit more, but that comes with, teaching people how to do things.
1: So is there anything that I haven't touched upon that you'd like to showcase those that are watching and listening to this interview?
0: I can't think of anything in particular. I mean, this is something that we've, we've talked about, you know, the fact that we do this because we love to do it. Um, I would always, you know, like to have a bigger audience, of course, but you know, the, the thing, the thing about doing this kind of thing, we get plenty of positive feedback People find our channel. They find our programs, and they appreciate what we're trying to do: staying objective, staying above the drama, and not, you know, not getting too deep in the muck and the mire and the and the mudslinging and that kind of thing. We try to be a little bit more mature. We're older, for the most part, than a lot of these guys that are that are on YouTube. So I don't know how much that has to do with it because our approach is different. People notice. We just need more people to notice
1: 2000 people on YouTube is nothing to sneeze at when it comes to subscribers. That's a great accomplishment either way. So, well, thank so, you. I'm, I'm trying to get to a thousand myself. So it's a,
0: it's a slog. And especially, especially with YouTube doing the shenanigans that they do. I mean, I mean, you, at any given point in time, YouTube could yank the rug out from under any channel at all for any reason, for no reason. Mm-hmm. You know, they just arbitrarily just decide we don't like you anymore. We're going to yank your channel, mm-hmm. uh, which happens. And, and we see this in our subscriber count fluctuating. You know, we'll get three or four or five new subscribers and then it'll go away. You know, two of them will go away and then we get three more and one goes away. And it's just like, okay, YouTube, what are you doing? I don't think that they're completely objective and honest And in how they deal with channels, which is one of the reasons why we've set up, you know, we're, we've got our videos feeding to rumble. We're also on Odyssey, just basically hedging our bets at this point, because you, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow that YouTube could just decide they don't like how you squinted in that one frame. And they're going to yank your channel.
1: Or even worse was like about 2016 or whatever, when they decided to yank off all monetization on any channel under a certain amount. That, yeah. And, that and we killed. had to
0: build back on ours too. Yeah.
1: Well, that I haven't recovered from that. It's a kick in the balls. I mean, yeah, you, you put all this effort to utilizing a platform to promote yourself, to promote your guests and to promote your shows. You just left in the dust, like everything else.
0: Yeah. And it took us a while to recover too. Um, we had, we had an opportunity. We were, uh, we were able to stream, from star wars celebration when it was in chicago in 2019 i think the thursday before the show opened because we've got some connections in the 501st we were actually able to get into the space before the show opened and record a few interviews and you know we got in there with with cell phone and you know we're broadcasting say hey we're down here at c2et uh at, at celebration And during that whole time on Thursday, first day of the show, Star Wars, official Star Wars channel was not streaming yet. And we were the only ones that got any kind of a signal inside the space because I know Jeremy from Geeks and Gamers was down there, too. And he was running into a problem. He wasn't able to get a signal on the inside of the building. He was outside but when he was inside McCormick he couldn't get any kind of a signal we weren't sure why what was going on so we were the only channel that was streaming live from inside celebration the first day of the event with that you know we got our we got our view count up we got our subscriber count up we got our hours you know the watched hours and stuff that we were able to get get our partner level monetization back but without being able to do that at celebration i don't know how long it would have taken us
1: that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's great fortune, truly. And, you know, he showcased, uh, I'm sure an amazing celebration of
0: that too. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun, it, but it was a slog. It was one of those things. Oh, we don't, we need our monetization back. Now I got to fight for that too, as well as, you know, all of this other stuff that we got to do. YouTube is arbitrary. And they'll change the rules at the drop of a hat and they won't really give you much kind of a warning and you got to learn how to roll with it. Toss your hands up and say, I'm done. At what point are we good enough? I think we're always good enough. That's a subjective value judgment for the audience to make. Um, As long as people continue to show up for the kind of, of material that we put out, we're good enough and you run into the you know perfect being the enemy of good if you wait until you have all of your ducks in a row and everything is perfect you know that can take away from your opportunities to do something when you're just good and you know good enough is the best effort that we can make you know as honest and as respectful of the audience as we can be and they'll either respond to that and they'll, they'll keep coming back for what we do uh, or they won't. I have built into our process uh, what I call abort or pivot points. We have moments of measurement where we come in and say, okay, how well is this particular effort doing? Whether it's a show or a, a segment and, and, and that kind of thing. And if it's not doing well, well, okay, do we need to adjust? Do we need to make some adjustments or do we need to just stop doing this and do something else? And so that gives us time to sit there and say, is this good enough for the audience? Because if the audience is responding, then it's good enough and we keep going. Do we need to do it better? Do we tweak it a little bit and whatnot? And and we rely on the, the view counts and comments and the likes and the, and the shares and all of that to, to get an idea of just how well it's, it's being received.
1: What is an early experience where you learned
0: that language had power? When I was in high school, uh, we had a Bible class in my youth group. My youth minister sat and we were starting the quarter. And he said, I want everybody to go through and introduce yourselves, tell us your name, and then tell us what you prefer to be called. And then, you know, like nicknames or, you know, pet names or whatever. This is this is back, you know, 30 years ago. This is back before pronouns and Z and Z and, and, and all that stuff. But it was, you know, do you prefer, you know, because some people go by their middle name. Something in that moment uh, gave me a little bit of an insight that if you are respecting somebody and you have that power of language to acknowledge somebody it's just in a name but it also kind of kind of translates into everything else words have meaning the ability to communicate with people and the ability to very clearly articulate your thought because you know, in this day and age, social media, nobody knows when anybody's being sarcastic. So you have to be very careful in the, in the word choices that you make. And as a writer, you know the various different stories that I've written and, and short stories, novels, and screenplays that I've written, language comes into play with that too because you have to make sure that the words that you're that you're choosing convey the particular ideas that you want to get across. And so for me, language has always been an important aspect of not just getting along with people, but making your point, creating whatever content that you create, all of those different things, the words that you use the and the way you present yourself always makes a difference in how people receive that. Everyone
1: has one person that inspired them on their path to where they are today. Who was that for you?
0: The first person that comes to mind is Dr. Nancy Myers. She was an English teacher in high school. And uh, between her and my sixth grade reading teacher, Debbie Wright, they, they both encouraged my writing craft uh the ability to actually put words to paper and tell stories and 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 do something creative with what i had and between the two of them i think probably the most influence the most encouragement that i had early on uh that made me think well yeah maybe i could actually do this and and be good at it because you know there there's there's a, a risk that you run being creative where you're, you basically put yourself out there, you know, heart and soul, you put yourself into this project and it's your baby. And, and if people don't like your baby and they sit there and they say your baby is ugly, it's a, it's a blow to the ego. And depending on how resilient you are, uh, that can make or break a creative career. at at the very beginning before it, before it ever has a chance to start and flourish. So it's, it's really important that you find those people who can encourage you, but do it in an honest way and give feedback that's, you know, helpful and constructive to make, make what the thing you want to do better. And that, that honest feedback at the same time, you're getting encouragement, I think is a, is a good mix, but it's very hard to find
1: from a professional standpoint, you've had a career in media for many years. You've also created an amazing site with, of course, Sci-Fi for Me, and you have created many shows with many different people over, over the decades, I'm going to say. So from a f- professional standpoint, you are successful. Do you consider yourself personally successful?
0: Personally successful, yes, but not because of anything professionally that I've done. Um, that's, that's a factor that, that figures into things, but my, personal, my sense of personal success comes from a couple of things. One is that I've got a son that I've raised and he's relatively responsible and smart and can, can take care of himself and, and he shows respect to his elders and such. I've married someone who is encouraging and supportive. And that personal success comes from a sense of knowing my place, knowing my sense of self and being satisfied and content with where I am in life, not necessarily uh, with regard to career because careers change, jobs change and, and job situations change. And if your, if your happiness depends on your job, uh, then it's, it's a little bit more vulnerable. So you need to have a good, you need to have a good sense of yourself and have that as a priority more than anything else because that, that gives you a stronger sense of satisfaction with everything that you do, I think. The
1: reverse of success is failure. How do you deal with your failures?
0: Failure comes in a price but recognizing the price uh, is, is one of those things where, you know, that, that comes with a certain amount of maturity. When you get handed a setback, uh, it's not necessarily a failure every time. It's an opportunity to learn, okay, what did I do wrong? What did I, you know, what needs to be done better? What needs to be done differently, if there's a situation you didn't handle as well as you could have, you know, various different things, you know, failure on a personal level or failure on a professional level, there's usually a reason for it. And some of it's something that you can control and some of it's beyond your control. And you have to learn how to recognize the difference between the two. And those things that are within your sphere of influence you figure out the best way to handle those things. And uh, some of that is attitude. Some of that is preparation. Some of that is the ability to adjust on the fly and to to roll with whatever punches are thrown your way. You have to figure out, I mean, this pandemic has been a good example of that where everybody has to learn how to do things differently. Everybody's got to learn to adjust. And we're still... Adjusting, We're still learning how to improvise and, and figure things out on the fly. And for me, failure comes when you quit, when you give up. Past that point, if, if you continue to, to push at something, you continue to make an effort, you continue to strive, you're not necessarily failing so much. Now, something might not work, but it's just another... Uh, point of information that you can use to make an adjustment to make the next thing work better. The younger generation
1: is looking at your work and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's to, you know, just to do interviews in a creative setting, whether it's to do a show of their own making about a fandom that they enjoy, or whether it's to be creative in another avenue whatsoever. And you also have the younger generation with you as well. Uh, that might be creative in their own way, some way, shape, or form. How can they inspire the generation that follows them?
0: Inspiring people is a tough thing because if you set out with that as your goal, I want to inspire people. uh, It takes your focus off what you actually need to be doing. Uh, I think, especially with the younger groups, I think there's too much emphasis that's been placed on notoriety and influence and ego and and that sort of thing. Nobody appreciates hard work uh, because influencing people comes from being able to get something done and being out in front of people. And, you you know, whether it's a, a sports star or a Hollywood star or a successful business person or whatnot. Uh, the successful people are the ones who work hard, the ones who strive to achieve something. And uh, younger people don't quite appreciate how much work is involved in success. So when you sit there and say, oh, I want to inspire somebody, that, that's, that's, almost, that's almost akin to saying, I want to take a shortcut. I want to be famous and popular so I can influence people. And that's uh, to me. That's the wrong goal to have. I want to. Uh, I want to accomplish something. I want to achieve something that s- the audience will appreciate. Uh, but I want to. I want to provide something that is high quality, that is uh, you know professionally done. I, I guess you could say something that lasts, something that stands the test of time. You know, is not just some flash in the pan thing and. Uh, people will, will appreciate the work that you get, you know, that you put into a a, a product or a service, uh, and and it's not about it's not about the notoriety. It's not about the fame because that that puts your focus on the wrong thing, and and you lose track of the steps the 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 step by step by step by step that you've got to take in order to achieve the 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 success that you want. Success comes after you make the effort. And that's not something you sit there and say, well, I want to inspire somebody by work. And and people don't want to hear that.
1: And, you know, you learn things and you experience things that you would never get when, if you take a shortcut.
0: You do. And the other part of it too is, you know, younger people need to be open to learning from the mistakes of others. You know, there are there are some conversations that I've had with some people and and it's they want to go through it all themselves. They want to do it all themselves. They want to they want to be on their own and not have to rely on anybody. I keep saying you need to be willing to listen to the people who have already been there. You know, there there are people out there who have life experiences that, that the younger crowd hasn't had rather than make you go through these terrible awful, no good experiences yourself, you should be willing to listen to those people who have already gone through them. So you can learn, you know, from other people's mistakes and, and, and not do the same things that other people have done that turned out to be the wrong thing to do.
1: What's that phrase? uh, Do what I say, not what I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know, but, you know, these, these young kids, you know, the late teens and and early twenties, they think they've got it all figured out and they know everything and, and they don't want to listen. And it's like, okay, you're going to learn things the hard way. Uh, If you listen, it might not be so hard, but, you know, eventually they come around and they figure out that you actually know what you're talking about, but uh, it's, it's somewhat painful in the mid, in the, in the meantime.
1: Well, Jason, I do hate to say this, but that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's greatly appreciated.
0: Sure. I appreciate being able
1: to come on and talk. Before I let you go, though, where can we find you? How can we support you on,
0: on the internet? We are the main site is sci That's with a number four. Uh, we're also on a number of video platforms. We're on YouTube, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey for, for video. And then for social media, we're on pretty much everywhere: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We've got a company page on LinkedIn, uh, and then we're on the alternate socials: MeWe, Minds, Gab, Parlor, Getter, uh, Locals. We've got a Discord that we're setting up. We don't, we haven't really quite got that all up and running yet. And it's basically just kind of spread things out, don't put all our eggs in one basket type of thing. And uh, you know, we've got a Pinterest account for for cosplay uh, related materials. So any, any place really except Tumblr and TikTok, and, and, uh, we're not on, on the, on the really younger people's socials yet. And we, and we do have a newsletter that you can sign up for over oh. at dot com. So That's there's awesome. that too.
1: Well, like I said, I hate to say it, but that then ends this particular episode on two geeks talking again, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. You can of course find this interview and a thousand others thousand plus others i should say on our website twogeekstalking.com or tgtmedia.com and it's twogeekstalking.com is the word two not the number two you can of course find this interview on our youtube channel which is youtube.com forward slash tgtmedia and as i say every week everyone has a story to tell and that's up to me to help bring that out thanks for listening watching on two geeks talking